0: All right, this is Gary Barrett from CBS Sports, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got my Norlander with me. I got Sam Vecini with me. It's now Friday, of February 12th, at least on the uh, East Coast. It's just barely Friday, February 12th, approaching 1 a.m. Eastern. So it's Friday for Norlander and I, and it's still Thursday uh, for Sam Vecini. And it's been, I don't know, a busy day in college basketball, the night we just watched, but certainly a uh, a notable night because we saw uh, Oregon uh, go to Cal and lose. We saw Iowa go to Indiana and lose. And while those uh, results will get labeled as, quote, upsets by some people, the truth is uh, it was more of following a pattern of what we've already seen uh, much of this season, which is Uh, Even the teams with fours next to their name or 11s next to their name, even when they go on the road and play, quote, unranked teams, if those unranked teams are still quality opponents like Cal, like Indiana, talented rosters like Cal, like Indiana, uh, you're at risk to lose. And so um, I imagine some casual observers were probably surprised that, you know, top five Iowa lost and top 15 Oregon lost. But I can't imagine, Sam, you were too surprised by these results.
1: No, I mean, results-wise, no, I was not surprised. I was a little bit surprised that Cal beat Oregon by 20. Right. But, I mean, again, these two teams, Cal and Indiana, were both favored by Vegas. I mean, I think that Cal was like a two-point favorite, and Indiana was a three, three three-and-a-half-point favorite against Iowa. So, it's not a surprise that Indiana defeated Iowa. I'll let Matt talk a little bit more about that game But uh, Oregon and Cal was a little bit of a surprise because Cal just jumped all over them to start that game. I mean, I think it was 29 to 9, like midway through the uh, first half. And I don't know if it was maybe that bump that teams get sometimes whenever they get a senior leader back. Like uh, Cal got Ty Wallace back in that game and he came off the bench. And, you know, it was a thing where they didn't know if he was going to go like until an hour before the game or something. So maybe you got that emotional bump and, you know, they just came out and smothered. Oregon defensively I mean Jalen Brown was really good defensively in that game for a freshman anyone that tried to drive on him was just swallowed up by slash by uh his length and by his athleticism it was really really impressive to watch um Oregon though I mean they're still fine I still think they're the favorite in the uh you know Pac-12 going forward Cal uh, this this helps them I think but it doesn't necessarily you know cure their ills. This is a team that's still 1-8 and eight on the road. Uh, their only win this season on the road slash away from Haas Pavilion is uh, an overtime victory over a Wyoming team that is 172nd in Ken Palm right mm-hmm. now. Um, so it's Cal, this win looks really nice. And I mean, anytime you can go out and beat the 11th ranked team in the country by 20 points, you're obviously going to take that, but uh, this is no, uh, no resume breaking victory for them. They need to go out and they need to find a way to win on the road. I mean, their road trip, uh, in the Washington schools next week, they get Washington followed by Washington state. They need to I think, win both of those games. I mean, Washington State isn't going to look particularly good on a resume beating them. Washington would, I think, going to Washington and winning. That's a talented team, even though they're probably not quite a tournament team. That would at least look good. If they can win both those games, though, it would be great for their resume. And I think that, honestly, it would probably hold a little bit more weight than even this one would.
0: Norlander switching gears over to Indiana-Iowa. Indiana was up 16 in the first half. Iowa made it close, but ultimately— Indiana wins eighty five seventy eight despite Yogi not playing well. If you'd have talked to me before the game, I'd have said they're really going to need Yogi to play like a you know senior star, you know primary playmaker. And yet, I think he was two of twelve from the field. And and uh, Indiana got a lot from its bench, and they win. It was funny the uh, you know people. Some people like they just wait to like uh, uh, they can't wait for the result of a game to come in uh, that fits whatever point they've been wanting to make for however long and, and tweet it immediately. So as soon as Iowa lost, <laughs> because I have Iowa ranked number one in the top 25 and one, somebody said, ah, Paris, you had them overrated and so on and so forth. And that was always dumb. They didn't belong in the top five, much less number one and so on and so forth. And to that person, I would just say this. Um, Literally no team in the country, no team in the country would be favored to win a game at Indiana. None. I don't Villanova, Virginia, North Carolina. Everybody would be an underdog at Indiana, just like Iowa was an underdog at Indiana. So listen, not if you're Iowa, you want to win the game, not lose the game. But there's in this particular year, you know, Kentucky and Carl Anthony Towns don't exist. Duke and Jalil Okafor don't exist. Wisconsin, Frank Kaminsky don't exist. Uh, that Indiana team, though unranked, is just good enough that they would and please if there's an odds maker out there uh, listening who who wants to correct me if I'm wrong, please correct me, but according to the numbers I'm looking at, considering Iowa is still top three in Kimpom uh, I, and and they were a three point underdog in the game. I don't think there's any team in America that would be favored at assembly Hall and it just sort of speaks to the um, the the lack of of I guess separation between the top of the rankings and and every in you know any other quality team in this particular season. Norlando, what do you make of all that?
2: I got a few thoughts. Sounds Does- like me just
0: trying to make excuses, doesn't it? No, no that's <laughs> you, you
2: raise a good point, and I think you're correct. Uh, I don't think anyone heading into Thursday. Would have been a favorite at IU. As a quick aside, I, I wanna set this uh, and put it out there just in case it happens. So this is this podcast is being recorded. I'm living that dad monitor life right now. My <laughs> son is in his crib. Here's the deal. If this kid wakes up, mm-hmm. I'm gonna let you know. I gotta put the, we're gonna keep rolling with the podcast. Sure. Okay. I'm gonna go get him and I'm gonna bring him down and just have to put a pacifier. I'm hoping that he just sleeps through this. But there is like a 50-50 chance (laughs) this podcast kind of gets crazy, but he's sleeping right now. Please, son, just make it through. We'll see how it goes. As for Indiana, a pretty – listen, pretty critical win as far as I'm concerned just because you don't have the skid from the Penn State loss. There's no hangover there. And now it's a little bit of a house money situation going to Michigan State. I do think it will lose at Michigan State on Sunday, which is not what you want. But at least you got the win over Iowa here. And the Big Ten race is a total, you know, just cluster at the top, which is very fun. Oddly enough, um, you had entering this game, you had Uthoff and, and uh, Yogi right there with Trimble for Big Ten Player of the Year. You said it, Yogi didn't Denzel, have a Denzel, great... don't forget Denzel. No, Denzel's there too, for okay. sure. Yeah, there's there's a four-way race, sorry. Um, but Yogi's team won, but he didn't really help his case too, too much. Yeah. And uh, Uthoff was okay. I mean, he was good, not great. Um, it just, the game didn't play out the way that I thought it was going to. Although Yogi had a few solid plays late. He broke a press uh, when Iowa really needed to foul. And, uh, and, and it led to a, a huge dunk in transition that kind of sealed the game there late overall. You know, there's no huge grand takeaways here. Iowa, listen, it's it's got five losses, but it's hard to like, fault them. All the losses are to teams that are going to be in the tournament, yeah. And and all the losses are to teams that are almost definitely going to be single digit seeds because Dayton's going to win the A10, and to me, at, at at worst, I mean, unless something comes where they really fall apart, Dayton's a twenty and three team right now. Uh, they're going to be a, a seven seed at worst. Notre Dame. It's getting better and better. Top 30 Ken Palm team. Iowa State, Maryland, Indiana are are all the losses. So Iowa, as GP has made the case recently, clearly in putting them number one in his his top 25 and one. The overall resume and its quality of losses are as good as anyone else's now. as more pile up. Obviously, it doesn't look as good. There's not really a lot of fault here. And this was by far the toughest game remaining on the schedule for Iowa. I would think it'll probably maybe lose one more. The road games are at Penn State, should win it at Ohio State, should win it at Michigan. Maybe that's a little bit tricky, especially if Levert really gets going overall. But no shame there. Good win for Indiana. Big Ten remains very, very fun at the top, very unpredictable at the top. And you touched on the on the Denzel thing, which I think is worth just quickly addressing, because Michigan State, with Valentine back, I mean, he definitely... I love watching him play, man. I, I just love his game. And, and now we've got an interesting matchup with... Indiana going to MSU on Sunday. I would think Michigan State will win that one, but uh, but regardless, um, huge win. Can't say enough about how big that was for Indiana for its standing and its and its morale going forward. I think it just does good things for its seeding going forward, and it just it stops the bleeding. I don't think there'll be as much fallout if they fall at MSU because they're not going to be expected to win.
0: And of course, um, I'm glad you made the point you made about Iowa because exactly like the resume is. It's not great. It's not Kentucky's resume from last year, but six top forty wins, RPI, uh, no losses outside of the top thirty, no losses to teams that aren't going to be in the NCAA tournament, no losses at home, and no losses by double digits. Like uh, you know, like I guess it depends on where you put emphasis. Like, do you like top twenty five wins? Do you like you know top fifty wins? Do you not care about bad losses? Like you know, Virginia's got more wins. Oregon's got more wins, but. Um, i i 'm sort of impressed by the um you know a resume where you don't have any any like embarrassing things on it mm-hmm. you know there's nothing really embarrassing on on iowa's resume to date norlander, you said something that I wanted to uh to touch on you said the big ten's kind of a cluster at the top and uh, so was the big twelve and so is the s e c and i 'm one of these people you know, I did a show with Adam shine the other day on c b s sports network and he asked me um Lack of a of a great team. Is that a good thing for college basketball? Like that that there is no clear cut great team. You know what? Let me ask you guys that. Sam, you tell me. Is that a good thing or bad thing for college basketball?
1: Uh yeah. I actually I think I went on a radio show with maybe Bobby Cremens early in the season. And he Shout asked me that same exact Shout question. Shout out to Bobby yeah. Cremens. He asked me that same exact question though. And my response to that was I think it's worse personally. I agree. Um, with you. Yeah, there's just not that one storyline you can attach to this year. Like Kentucky, everyone was wondering if they were going to go unbeaten last year. And uh, uh, to me, I I would think that for the general public, you know, it's kind of hard for us. We're so ingrained in this like day to day. It's kind of hard for us to tell. And I think it's kind of hard for people that cover the sport on a day to day basis. Like we all want, I think, everyone to succeed. So whenever there's this parody, it's kind of awesome. But uh, for the general fan, I would guess that. It's not, I would guess that they want that one storyline to attach to that one team that, you know, they're rooting for and they want to see history or they want to see an incredible run. Really, don't you think? Uh, Norlander,
2: I'll let you. uh, Uh, I think think fans love to have uh, something to really root very much for or very much against. I think oftentimes when you have really good teams, um, I, on two levels one maybe an, an emotional hatred of a team certainly contributes to that or when you get to the tournament people would love to bet really much for or against the public when it gets to that and so when we get to the tournament and there might be one team or two teams or maybe in an, uh, a random year three like really you know three really good teams and then there's something of a, a differentiation and a drop-off I think people like that me I get that totally and I would agree that the sport is better for that but my two spin-off thoughts from that are one. Overall, like people are still going to really hate Duke, and they're still going to really hate Kentucky, regardless of their record and when they're in the tournament. So there is still going to be sort of a visceral reaction to those programs, regardless if they're not having completely dominant seasons. So I still think an element of that exists. And two, I just personally, and I think I mentioned this on a couple of podcasts back, but I – I love what is happening with the season, just because it's it's getting ridiculous. I understand how it can hurt college basketball in some ways, but I will also say, on multiple networks, we've had situations this year where ratings have been pretty healthy. So it's and I understand those are just re, you know game by game, really good game basis, and it's sort of similar to what's going on with the NBA, where the ratings suck unless the Warriors are involved, pretty much. So there's just there are only a few different factors that are really drawing people in, but the fact that Buddy Hield is becoming a household name and is just being flat-out ridiculous and is becoming a Steph Curry of college, I think that helps as well. But generally speaking, yes, I agree. It helps on a year-to-year basis. when College basketball clearly has one, two, or three teams that can be set up as predominant favorites entering into the tournament because I think those grand narratives heading in do help sell the sport a little bit better than what we're going to have this year when it's just going to be just balls-out unpredictability, which Personally, hashtag balls prefer, out. Yeah, personally, I th- I think I prefer
0: that. Um, I
2: think you guys are both right.
0: And last year was a perfect example of that. Like last year was really like a perfect storm. I mean, you had uh, the big brands Duke and Kentucky right there at the top of the rankings basically all year long. Like, what draws people in college players who you're familiar with, big brands and. NBA draft picks, right? That, that's what that's what draws your casual fans in. Yeah. Last year we had all of that. You had the big brands, Duke and, and Kentucky. You had college basketball players people were familiar with, Frank Kaminsky. You had the lottery picks on the big brands that were at the top of the rankings, Carl Anthony Towns, Jalil Okafor. Um, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, so you on and so Kaminsky,
2: forth. You could argue was like the most well-known player, and he was in the Final Four,
0: right? I, like, yeah, last year, like it checked every box in terms of like drawing in casual observers and Kentucky going for perfection. Like that's a story. The the way I always sort of always describe it is like if you were trying to, if you were a producer for, pardon the interruption, and you wanted to to talk about college basketball, you wanted to do a, a have a college basketball topic. Well, like last year, it was easy, right? You could talk about Kentucky. You could talk about towns, Okafor. Like you could go a lot of different directions. Like, what would be the pardon the interruption? Uh, topic in this particular year for most of this season. Like, who knows? I don't even know if you could get the one. And so, I do think when you're trying to bring in, and Sam made a good point. We we we're going to be involved no matter what. Like, this is what we do for a living. So, like, um, you know, we we tend to think everything is bigger than it probably is. To, ca- to a casual fan. In fact, I think sometimes college basketball is similar to Major League Baseball in this way. Um, if you don't follow Major League Baseball, you don't know what's going on in Major League Baseball. Like, you don't just stumble into Major League Baseball anymore. Like, you stumble into the NFL. Like, it's almost impossible to not know what's going on in the NFL on some level if you follow sports at all. It is almost impossible to not bump into some NBA stuff, whether it's Golden State or LeBron or Kevin or Kobe. Um, If you follow sports at all, you can follow sports and be completely oblivious to Major League Baseball, um, to what's going on in, in, you know, division to division, market to market. But in the markets where it matters, it matters intensely. Um, I think college basketball is a lot like that. Like, you can be a sports fan and not really know what's going on in college basketball on a year-to-year basis unless there's a huge story. But in the markets where it matters, it matters intensely. it matters to to an incredible level, so yeah, I think the that,
1: sport that I think is most like that is actually hockey uh hockey like in Pittsburgh is insane, right hockey even in Los Angeles out here is like fine right I mean the Kings won the Stanley Cup like what a year ago, two years ago, and it's fine, right. you know what I mean, but in like Pittsburgh, they get like constant forty fifty ratings for playoff games, sure. Like so, it, it's, it's absolutely like a matters what matters.
0: Thing. Yeah. So like yeah, in college basketball, like where it matters, it matters. But beyond that, you have to have a big, big story like Kentucky going undefeated uh, to bring in casual observers. Um, so, so I prefer that every time somebody asks, yeah, give me Kentucky going for an undefeated season because that's going to be the largest, audience. Od- it's going to create the largest audience you could possibly get. That said, this season is turning into something that's, that's interesting that I didn't necessarily anticipate. And it's because, and boy, this is a long wraparound, but um, of, of what Sam said, you know, or, or Norlander said, there, there's a cluster at the top of, of the Big Ten. Well, there's a cluster at the top of the Big 12, and there's a cluster at the top of the SEC. Like three of the Power Five conferences enter this weekend with a three-way tie in the top of the standings and I know that the standings don't matter as much in college basketball as they do in college football. Um, but still it is interesting that, um, you know, we've got Kansas, Oklahoma, West Virginia, identical records, top of the big 12. We've got Maryland, Indiana, Iowa, identical records, top of the big 10. We've got Kentucky, South Carolina, LSU, identical records at the top of the sec. Like I look at this weekend's schedule And I guess it was last Friday when we talked. I was like, you know what, Saturday, like, whatever. Like, I'm sure some storyline will develop somewhere. But on paper, uh, it doesn't shape up as a great weekend. On paper, this weekend, Kansas at Oklahoma, Kentucky at South Carolina, Virginia at Duke, Texas at Iowa State, Texas A&M at LSU. Like, there's some really compelling matchups this weekend.
2: Big time. Uh, It's Honestly, it's a stacked weekend. I mean, you've even got stuff like Xavier at Butler. Butler really needs that kind of win. There are just there are serious games of consequence, I would say, both within league standings, cause Xavier's trying to keep up with Villanova to win the big the big East title and still chase like a number two seed. So there's still there's still that, and then there are a lot of games where teams are facing teams in those spots for their own good, trying to maintain at large status. LSU kind of chief among them gets the home game against A and M. Which I don't know. Figure them we out, were,
0: Norlander. They, we okay, were they,
2: praising A and M. Sam was ready to give Billy Kennedy the coach of the year, and now they've dropped three in a row, losing to Bama. No, just, no,
0: no, no, no. Three in a row. They've lost four or five. They've lost four straight SEC yep. games. They've gone from seven and zero in the league to seven and four in the league. They've gone to complete, from complete control to now a game back of Kentucky, LSU, and South Carolina. And, the, and then somehow, in the middle of this downward spiral. They, they knocked off Iowa State. You know, like it, so random.
2: It, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, listen, it's it's a super interesting weekend uh, for sure, led by Kansas, Oklahoma. Basically, if we touched on this last week as well, but if, if Oklahoma wins, I mean, the percentage, they're going to tie for the Big 12 title at the very worst. And you would think they're going to win, they get the whole game, but again, we will not count out Kansas until the body, I see it dead and buried in the ground in regard to winning a Big 12 regular season title, or at least a share of it. So that's the most compelling one. And I also think this. Buddy Heald winning the player of the year, it's almost a guarantee, but I'll say this. If Oklahoma wins and Buddy just goes for his average, 26 points, you know, six boards, four assists, whatever, uh, it's a lock. Like, I, there is no going back. This is the game where I th- like, there's still a little bit of wiggle room there. If LSU gets totally ridiculous and no, Simmons falls no, out no or way. or v- Valentine who had the injury, if they take that into account, Michigan state gets good and Oklahoma trails off. I'm telling you, if Oklahoma beats Kansas and buddy goes off, it's a lock. He's winning the player of the year. He's sweeping it. So I think that's a, a small subplot to that game in this weekend.
0: I think it's a lock already. I think, I mean, he is so much better than everybody else.
2: I know but like it's not a lock if he if they lose and he goes for 13 points as his worst game of the year and Denzel Valentine against Indiana goes for 37 points like it's not going to be a lock. If some that's dummy unlike- out
0: there is going to let 135th of a season change the 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 player of the year race that much then it's a dummy. The and argument
2: which- is that the argument is that Michigan State was really awesome with Valentine and Valentine had the uh the lead for the first third of the season, he got injured. Don't hold that against him. He's come back. Michigan State looks awesome again, so he should rightly be considered for that. Don't hold the injury against him. That's the devil's advocate to that argument. Which,
1: like, I'll say this, too. Like, I think Buddy Hilde is absolutely the player of the year. I don't think he's, like, far and away the best player in college basketball either. I think, like, clearly he plays for one of the best teams, and he is clearly one of the three best players in college basketball. And if you made me say he's having the best year in college basketball, clearly. But like Denzel Valentine and Chris Dunn are both really, really good basketball players. Ben Simmons is a really, really good basketball player. I would call all four of those guys on the same tier. But, you know, Buddy is probably just a small step ahead of them right now. And, you know, narrative wise, I understand why Buddy Heald should win the Player of the Year award. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying he shouldn't win it. Um, But it's not like Buddy Heald is like this god among Buddy Hield is it. a
0: god. Buddy Hield is a god. Take that back. I
1: love, like, I love Buddy Hield. I wrote the like first major feature about him this year. I mean, I wrote it back in August before this year. I love Buddy Hield. sounds, sounds to me,
0: sounds to me like you're turning on Buddy Hield.
1: I'm not turning on him. I have him Feels like in like the top he... eight of my of my uh, big board now. Like I've I've been high on Buddy Hield since before it was cool to be high on Buddy Hield. He's averaging
0: 26 points. For a number one seed. He got 46 at Allen Fieldhouse. Just hit a game winner against Texas. He's doing a 50, 50, and 90 season. He's your player of the year. And right now, I'm not saying it can't get close. Right now, it is not close.
1: Yeah, I think, like I said, I think he is a step above for all of the reasons that you said. But I don't think that it's like he is this god that is so much higher on a pedestal compared to every other good player in college basketball. Like Ben Simmons is like top 20 scoring nationally, top five rebounding nationally. And that's like not even the best part of his game. Like he's his best part of his game is getting everyone else involved in the offense. It's uh,
2: like, one quick. Yeah, go ahead. Norlander. Oh. Just, Norlander quick real quick, quick. True or false. What?
0: Buddy Hill's a God.
2: Hey man, you're <laughs> talking, you're talking to the only national pundit who picked Buddy Hill to win player of the year back yeah. in pre-season. Oh. So uh, sure. you know my answer to that. Here's the one thing though, that I want to bring up here. Do you remember like, October twentieth or so, it was a flat out given that Leonard Fournette was winning the Heisman. Yep. Now football is way different than basketball. That happens
0: that, every year in football.
2: Yeah, I know, isn't it? And it's so crazy, yeah. and that does not happen in basketball. So we are definitely apples oranges here. Um, but it's not it's not out of the question. That, but that's cl- clearly the the big game of what's, you know, a very stacked and very interesting weekend.
0: You bring up Ben Simmons real quick on this, Sam, and uh, you probably watched him more than most people because uh, you have yeah. a, a more of an interest in, in, in NBA draft stuff. Somebody suggested to me that LSU would benefit from playing him at the five. You buy that at all? They
1: should play him at the five every minute they can. Okay. And uh, I mean, a lot of the times they do actually like i think that uh most of the time if you look he's guarding the biggest guy on the court like it's either him or craig victor and a lot of the time it's him
0: well that was the argument that this person made to me was uh get craig victor off the court play ben simmons at the five
1: yeah i I don't think that that's a bad idea match like situationally um what what simmons is really good at is he's really good at exploiting different matchups and i mean i'm all for playing small if you can kind of swing it defensively. And with Simmons on the floor, the big thing with them is, and the big thing that Victor does, that Simmons doesn't do uh, really well right now, partially because, I mean, he has the talent to do it, but he just doesn't do it yet, is switch screens. Victor switches screens pretty well. Uh, Simmons doesn't really do that yet He he's just I, I want to say he's almost like kind of a careless defender that stands straight up a lot of the time when he's engaged and like at the end of the games though I, I think that he is a pretty good defender and I think that you could swing that late and the better matchups you can get uh, the better I think that you are basically like if you could run out of Simmons Hornsby, Quarterman, Blakeney, and then one of like Gray or Patterson, Patterson lineup. Right. Yeah, I think that that might be your best bet. Um, It's
0: interesting. I'm looking at the Kinpom, you know, where they have the uh, most used lineups over the past five games part. Mm-hmm. And it's got Ben Simmons playing point guard <laughs> uh, 91% of the time.
1: Yeah, it's like an algorithm or whatever yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, he right. runs in. Um, it's just sort stories. of interesting. Like he
0: really is. I hate it when people say. Oh yeah, there's this prospect and he can play four positions or he can play, you know, he can guard all five spots. Like Ben Simmons is one of those unique talents that can maybe play five. I, I don't know about five, but could play four positions. Well, maybe,
1: The maybe thing five. with Simmons is he can't guard five positions. Right. Yet cause he can't really even guard one position. yet. <laughs> right. Um, the the interesting comp for Simmons in that regard is kind of a Draymond Green kind of center, right? right. Like a six foot seven. I mean Simmons is even bigger, he's six foot nine, but yeah. like an undersized center who can switch a bunch of screens and at least rebound the ball well inside, even if he's not going to protect the rim super well. Um, you can make that work though, for sure. I think if you can keep penetration at a minimum, but. The problem is that uh, LSU struggles with that right now. So I would probably do that at the end of games uh, just because I, I don't think that they can defend all that well to begin with. But, uh, yeah, I know. I like that idea a lot.
0: Norlander, um, one of the things I noticed earlier tonight when we were just sort of tearing through things, and I guess Cal's win made me uh, look at it, was that if you go look at Jerry Palm's bracketology, and you should, um, he's got California, Kentucky, and Duke all right there, like in that seven, eight, nine range. And we could be headed for a situation where you're a one seed or you're a two seed. And you have a little bit like Wichita State did a few years ago. And you've worked all year and you've had this unbelievable season. And then you look up in the round of 32 and you are playing a California team that's got...
2: Lottery picks. Yeah, multiple. Kentucky, yeah.
0: Multiple lottery picks. A Duke team that probably isn't as talented as those two. Um, but still, like, got Brandon Ingram on the I – mean, maybe like, – would you uh, – okay, let, let's – Duke is more talented
1: than Cal, I think. Okay,
0: so how many first-round draft picks on Duke's team? Two.
1: Brandon and Grayson? I've I, I've been saying for a little while now I think a team falls in love with Grayson in the first round.
0: Okay, so like I'm fine with that. I'm not even arguing with you. I'm just curious. So, okay. Yeah. But either way, you look across the court and you go, all right, we are
1: – I mean, here's the thing with yeah. playing Duke versus playing Cal. I mean, and I don't mean this – like all that negatively toward Quanzo Martin, but you're talking you coach do. K against Quanzo Martin. Like, no, I hear you.
0: I guess there's, there's a I, difference there. Well, I mean, there's a difference between K and everybody, right? So there like, is no, and yeah. that's what I mean. Like, so. I don't
1: mean it negatively toward Quanzo Martin. I just mean it as like, all right, I'd rather have him than coach K on the sideline. You sound,
0: you sound like a Tennessee fan. Did you get, did you, did you get this opinion off the Rocky top message board? Clearly. <laughs> here's, what, <laughs> here's what I would say. Um, Regardless of who's coaching the teams, the point is that you could be a one seed or a two seed. Somebody like Xavier or Iowa, and you look across the court and you're around a 32 game, and you go, "Damn, we're outmanned. We're outmanned by Cal. We're outmanned by Kentucky. We're outmanned by Duke." I don't know if it's going to get that way, but it's always been um, like the idea idea of it terrifying. Um, if from you know from my perspective, if you're a one or a two seed and you have to look across and and go. Well, now we're playing a team in the round of 32 that's got better players than we got. And it won't mean that they're better teams, but like, you know, Cal could throw out two lottery picks. Kentucky's got maybe three first round picks. Duke's got a couple first round picks. It's just sort of an interesting thing to keep mm-hmm. paying attention to um, because that is not usually the way it works. When you get to the round of 32, typically the ones and two seeds are going to have better players and be better seeds than the sevens and eights. But that might not be the case this year.
2: Yeah. And, with Kentucky kind of tying this into the near future. I mean, it could be on a track to a seven seed. It, it, listen, it's got the road game at South Carolina. So if it loses, which it very well could, I'm very intrigued by this because South Carolina is in as big of a spot that the program has been in, in just years, without a doubt. Biggest
0: home game in South Carolina since when?
2: Since honestly, since uh, the last time remember, what was the team? Was it Cal's first year? When they beat them, South Carolina was Darren like... Darren
0: Horn, and they had a little bitty guard. What was that little guard? Oh name?
2: man, what was? Oh, I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now. What was his name? Devin Downey. Oh my yep. gosh, Devin, Devin Downey. Downey. And they did beat them that year, sixty-eight, sixty-two. That was the Wall and Cousins team. <laughs> I remember that. That was an awful South Carolina team. They finished fifteen and sixteen, and. Uh, but it's basically the biggest home game since that, and this is even bigger because Carolina, South Carolina is actually really good and ranked going into this. So you know, first place in the SEC is on the line. Uh, this is the only matchup scheduled between these two programs. So what you'll have here is South Carolina winning this will basically put it at lock status to reach the tournament. Uh, if if it can get this win, Kentucky will take on another loss. At that point, they would be. 18-7. Remember, they've got a slew of bad ones. UCLA is not on track to make the tournament. Ohio State isn't. LSU is still either-or 50-50. I've lost to Auburn. Obviously lost to Tennessee recently. So we could have that. Now, if Kentucky goes Kentucky and wins, I think it's going to be a significant road win because I think South Carolina will still play its way into the tournament and probably get a decent seat overall. But this is, a, this is an SEC game, again, within the scope of college basketball. And people that follow it and love it on a day-to-day basis like ourselves. This is a very it's it's a weighty game, man. There's a lot there's a lot behind this and I'm very curious to see how South Carolina shows up for this because it's just it's a different deal, man. This is this will be its arrival. We've talked about them plenty, but on a national level, South Carolina has not had any sort of real impact. If you beat Kentucky on a Saturday on a in a February when people are paying attention sure. to the sport to take mm-hmm. the lead in the SEC that's going to be big time for Frank Martin. Well, the one thing Let is, me, yeah,
1: I, I do just want to point this out uh, in the SEC race going forward. I mean, South Carolina's schedule really opens up here sure. after Kentucky. I mean, they get Missouri, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Georgia, Arkansas. Is, They'll
2: probably be favored in every single game the rest yeah. of the way.
1: Yeah. If you look at Kentucky's schedule, on the other hand, they have this road game against South Carolina, road game at Tennessee or, uh, Texas A&M, road game against Vanderbilt, who can catch you. And then road game at Florida. Like this gets tricky for Kentucky real quickly. I mean, maybe they can just go Kentucky and go crazy and just dominate these games. But I mean, this is really opening up for a South Carolina SEC championship if they win this game. Two things.
0: Uh, One, South Carolina has got to close at Arkansas. And I know Arkansas just. That's tough. Yeah, I mean, just playing at Arkansas is tough. I mean, the numbers are incredible. Like, in that building, good Arkansas teams beat you, bad Arkansas teams beat you, whatever. Both of you guys said if Kentucky goes Kentucky, and you meant that in a positive way. You know what Kentucky going Kentucky actually is? Losing on the road.
2: I know. They've been, they're, yeah. they're two and five
0: in You're road right. games. They, they've lost. They have. This is the reason I don't have Kentucky ranked by now. And yes, let me be clear. Um, I think Kentucky's probably one of the best 26 teams in America. There's a whole bunch of data that suggests they are. But I, you know, as we've talked about a million times, I care about the resume. And the resume has five losses outside of the top 70 of the RPI, four of them in road games. Their best road win is an Alabama win, and their other road win is, and this is actually a really good one, the Arkansas win. But that's it. They're two and five in road games. And so... We were in studio uh, on Thursday night. Doug Gottlieb actually said Kentucky loses to South Carolina, and they don't win another road game all year long. I don't know if that's true, um, but Kentucky going Kentucky is go get them in Rupp. They will beat your brains in. Get them on the road, you, you'll probably beat them, whether you're Auburn, Tennessee, uh, LSU, UCLA, uh, anybody. Like it's been yeah. – they, you know, they, they play Kansas tough, but two and five on the road, like that's that's a – you know, it's hard to get away from that. I, 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 They're so talented that they could turn it at any point. Like, I won't be surprised if they win at South Carolina. But I guess my point is, Kentucky going Kentucky this weekend would be in Kentucky losing by, like, eight <laughs> points at South Carolina.
1: No, you're right. And that's a totally fair statement. I mean, a lot of it is going to depend on, and I mean, Kentucky fans will probably be upset with this. But a lot of it's going to depend on the whistle uh, on the road at South Carolina in South Carolina's biggest game and. What program history since 2000, I would say. I mean, I don't, um, I'm, I'm not that familiar with the history of Sacramento's program. They've made the tournament once since 2000. Yeah, it in, right? I believe that yeah. they've, I think they made it
0: in 2004, right? Yeah, that's brutal. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, it's like But big, Here's the
1: thing yeah. though the, those bigs at Kentucky, they get in foul trouble constantly. Sure. And if those guys get in foul trouble, you're in a lot of trouble if you're Kentucky having to go and beat a deep South Carolina team that has a lot of size. They can stretch you out shooting the ball a little bit. They can do a lot of different stuff to you. Uh, and without those big men on the floor, like Alex Poythress, like Marcus Lee, like Scal, I mean, they need those guys to play well, if they're going to win this game. And it's a lot to ask uh, whenever they've been so foul prone this year in a road game.
0: No, it's um, it's, it, that is a big game on Saturday. And I, I don't know, just to wrap this all around and then, and then wrap this up. Um, this is probably the Saturday that I'm looking forward most forward to so far of the season. Like, mm. um, And, you know, again, Kansas, Oklahoma, Kentucky, South Carolina, Texas a and LSU, Virginia, Duke, Texas, Iowa State, so on and so forth. Thank God Valentine's Day is not on Saturday.
2: <laughs> that's yeah, that's no, actually a – Shout yeah, out to
0: Valentine's Day not being on Saturday. That's a great point. Saturday. There's
2: even like – let me just toss a few well, sneakers. Shout ones. out to
0: Devin Downey.
2: First of all, definitely shout-out to Devin Downey. Repeat <laughs> shout-out to Bobby Kremins. Shout-out to with, Bobby Kremins. With, without a doubt. Um, Gonzaga at SMU is sneaky. That Just keep an eye on that one. I don't really know what's going to happen there, but SMU getting a just a legit opponent coming in non-conference. Um, Oregon at Stanford. Let's just see if there's a hangover there. I mean, I, Sam touched on it, but, like, Cal played his best game of the year and Oregon probably played his worst game of the year on Thursday. Um, And a lot of it was Cal just came out red hot and the game was over within Mm -hmm. five minutes. Uh, Really weird thing there. Um, Providence, if they lose, let's talk about them on Monday. That team is getting weird in a hurry. They host Georgetown, but Providence hasn't been automatic at home this year. And Georgetown is basically a starving dog at this point. Like it's got to win or, or the season's done. Um, no pun intended there. So that one's just a weird one just to keep an eye on. Saturday's got a litany of really, really interesting things. And then Valentine's Day Sunday It's a little slow, but let's just keep an eye. Let's give a little Pac-12 love here because of the top, you know, how tangled it is. Um, UCLA might have its season on the line this weekend with roadies at the Arizona schools. If it wins both of those, which I don't think it will, but if it does, it totally flips things for UCLA. It'll have the weirdest resume in the country. And then USC at Arizona is on Sunday. It would expect Arizona to win that, but if USC does win that, it'll be similar to the other USC, South Carolina, and that I think will really have some national attention on Andy Enfield's team uh, if it's able to – it should aim for a split there, Friday, Sunday, Arizona State, Arizona, but the Sunday one's a big one. So just loaded. Awesome weekend. We'll have so much to talk about on Monday.
0: Awesome weekend. We will have a lot to talk about on Monday. I want you guys to enjoy your Saturdays. I want you guys to enjoy your Valentine's Day's. And shout out to Devin Downey.
2: Let's shout go to, to sleep. It is shout so out to late. My son for sleeping through this, that yeah, was Shout thing. out
0: to Little Norlander for sleeping through this. I'm so tired. It's been a it's, long day. I went. Dude, the...
2: I, actually, you did a good job. Hold on, you did a good job tonight. On the I did watch Inside College Basketball with you, Dana and and Doug. You did a good job. Rare Thursday, and then you got to First of all, I'm I exhausted right now. I, I saw, I'm so I,
0: tired. I I I went the Yeezy season today. Okay.
2: Oh no. You know what? Yeah, hold on. Let's 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 just get. We should talk about this. Hold on. Real quick here, because um, because one, you one up me because I I went to my first of all, I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, but I did have to I do the right passage. Too, eh? I saw Bruce Wednesday night in Hartford. I'm a white sports writer in my 30s. There you go. You know that. Um, and it was a really, really good show. Like it was very good. He just, you know, there's a certain level of, of entertainers where they're just like straight up pros and a great, great show. Uh, and then you one up me and you start tweeting today that you're hanging out in Madison square garden with some sort of listening party with Kanye West. So, What the hell was happening?
0: Okay, so um, obviously his new album, I think, comes out. It's supposed to be
2: released Tuesday, but he
0: can release it whenever he wants because he's Yeezys for crying out loud. But um, it's Fashion Week, and so I don't think coincidentally he decided to release his new album um, during Fashion Week at the same time they were um, unveiling Yeezy Season 3, the Adidas line, right? And so most of these fashion shows, or wherever they are, I've never been to a fashion show. I'm from North Mississippi for crying out loud. But he decided to have his fashion show. And uh, listen, album listening party at Madison Square Garden. So they just put the tickets on sale like two weeks ago, right? And they sold it out in like 10 minutes. And it was very vague. Like, even as I was walking into the garden today, I had no idea what to expect. Like, is Kanye gonna perform? Is it just simply um, a fashion show in the traditional sense? Like, I'm gonna watch runway models, like, uh, you know, in Adidas gear. Like, I have no idea what's going on. But I'm just like, I'm here. And and he's one of my favorite artists. And so the garden's 12 blocks from my hotel. I'm going to go. So I uh, I, I get a ticket off StubHub. And you walk into the garden. And there's 15,000 people there. And basically the setup on the arena floor is, I don't know, 200 models. And they're just all standing there. And their job for about an hour and a half. While we listened to Kanye's new album was to just stand there. They just stood there and with no expressions on their faces, all uh African American models, male and female and so and and then you know, so then here comes Kim and Kendall and Chris Jenner and Caitlin and Little Northwest and the whole Lamar Odom was there, and they happened to sit like in the section right next to me, <laughs> all right, so the whole Kardashian clan's there. They're sitting right next in the section next to me. And then it really is as simple. Kanye West walks out. They've got a table set up where he's got a computer set up. He plugs the computer in. He gets on a microphone. He says, I appreciate everybody being here. Um, I'm going to play you my new album. If you like it, you can dance. If you like it, you can cheer. Um, here we go. And it, a man just plays his album, like start to finish. And he dances to his own album while 15,000 people dance to his own album. It was just such a weird thing. Like it would be like if if you asked your if you asked your buddy, hey, come over, I got a new album, we ought to listen to it together. Except it was fifteen thousand buddies, and they came to the world's most famous arena, and you charged them one hundred fifty bucks a ticket to do it. It was such a weird, like it's it was just a weird, so bizarre. It is just bizarre. Like who in what world do you? Have, oh, and by the way, they also um, uh, broadcast it live in a hundred theaters around the world. So like he he's like a brilliant in the sense that he creates this thing. That if you take a step back and go, okay, why are we why are we doing this again? It's a very reasonable question to ask. Except by the time you start considering why you're even doing it, you've already done it. Like you look around, there's 50, and it wasn't just like, hey, open the doors, 15,000 people coming in. Like I paid, I paid one hundred fifteen dollars for the ticket, and it's not like I want my money. It was great. It was. I mean, it's. A, it was a wild. It's like experience.
2: avant-garde exhibitionism, I guess. I don't know. It's it's really bizarre. Can I just get a review of the album? Like, what did you think of that? Here's
0: the thing. Okay, so the album was um, in the garden. Like, it was so loud. It was. It's it's difficult to.
2: Um, like more, but think about how industrial. Jesus was. Like no, not like, like that at all. Okay.
0: Not like that at all. You know what he he called it recently, he tweeted like in the past week that this is a gospel album and it's He's not. He's been a, tweeting some crazy stuff. He's been tweeting some crazy stuff. Let's not but, even get there. Yeah, but it wasn't um it's not a gospel album in the in the traditional sense, but I see why he said that. It doesn't sound like Jesus at all, but it also doesn't sound like college dropout at all. It's sort of like what he does. It's a it's a very different and distinct uh distinct uh album. And so, I don't want to vouch for it without giving it a listen like in a in a normal setting because this was just like a big party and it was very very loud. But the truth is like I like everything he does. Like, you know, people say uh what do you you know, my, my favorite album is Dark Fantasy, but I also liked 808s and I also like Jesus. And most people who like College Dropout didn't really like Jesus, but I like both of them. So I like everything he does. I, I'll like it no matter what um i did read some of the reviews from and it like seems positive i don't know that it's the greatest album of all time which is what he called it <laughs> <laughs> which
2: i love <laughs>
0: he just calls his album the greatest album of all time uh but i i'm it, it the the reviews have been positive and i i uh I, i'll like it no matter what it was a fun time it's just a weird way to spend a thursday afternoon i'll put it that way just to you know you you look over and like there's like kim and courtney and all them like right to your right and kanye and a push a T and ASAP Rocky are right down there to your left. Jay Z was there. Uh it was a it was a wild scene. It was a weird scene. Like it, you get this amazing artist cashing in on like everything you could possibly cash in on, right? He's he, the like, And you wonder, like, okay, 15,000 people there. How many are there because they're, like, really into Kanye's album? They want to hear it?
2: Or just scene yeah.
0: Or you just want to see Kim Kardashian and Kourtney Kardashian and Caitlyn Jenner and Kris Jenner. Like, what's the divide on that? Because when they walked in, they all walked in together, and they're all dressed the same way, like, in white outfits that were um, designed in Paris. And they, so they stand out. Like, even if you – like, that was the first family of whatever reality TV, I guess, marching in like you saw it. And, um, like, that was as big a roar as anything else that happened the rest of the day, you know? So the whole thing was, it was a neat, weird, cool experience. Like, I was telling one of my buddies about it, and he was like, so how how was it? I was like, it was cool, but also weird. And he was like, so what happened? I said, well, like, Kanye came out, he plugged a computer in, and he played his new album. He's like, and then what, like, sang along with it? Nope. Well, like, what did he do? just like played his new album and he like danced to it while everybody else was dancing to it it was just weird and that's the other thing how any this is like a perfect Kanye West story but like the idea that you would even think it's reasonable to charge people 150 bucks to come in
2: 150 dollars to go to this my ticket was like yeah like right around 150
0: yeah like okay how do you even get
2: the you paid 150 dollars to listen to an album that you're gonna pay for again (laughs) yes yeah. And just st- and just to stand in the same frickin' arena with Kanye West and a bunch of models chilling down there in the center. Yes!
0: And it wasn't even a Ridiculous. fashion show. Like, not that I needed the fashion show. I couldn't care less about that. But it wasn't like, and here's a model walking down a runway, and here's another model in a new outfit. They just all stood there. They were just like, they had a, like a, um, you know how when they have the big American flag on a football field and there's a bunch of people underneath it? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, like it was like that and then they pulled the they pulled the tarp off. It's not a tarp, but like think of it as a tarp on a baseball field and then there's like 200 models dressed in in Yeezy gear and they but they didn't model it. They just stood there with expressionless. It was like a it was it was art. That's what he would tell you. It was art. So um but like how do you even get how do you even come up with the idea? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to uh, secure Madison Square Garden middle of a Thursday afternoon. We're going to turn this into a huge event. We're going to charge folks 150 bucks a ticket and we'll sell it out. Like, how's that even get in your head that that's even possible? And yet, and yet not only like it happened, I was there and, and I don't get the sense that people were like, were you though?
2: was anybody really there? That's the question. <laughs> it
1: was, it was just such what a are, weird... what yeah. are the odds you were the only person from Mississippi there?
0: Oh, I think that's gotta be pretty high. And here's the <laughs> other thing that was also weird. I don't usually go to concerts and I, don't, I know this wasn't a concert in the traditional sense but it was a it was a party completely sober i had to go straight from there to cbs sports network so I, you know, I'm completely sober and in a suit. <laughs> so, so I looked, I looked, red- I was an old white guy in a suit, completely sober at this thing. So the whole thing was kind of crazy, but whatever. It was a good time. I'm glad I went. It
2: was an experience. I'm, I'm glad we actually put this on the podcast. This is a nice <laughs> tail end. We've got to tease this on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, this we,
0: is my official review of the Yeezy Season 3 listening party at Madison Square Garden. Awesome. Dig it. All right. We got to go to bed. I'm tired.
1: Have fun, guys. I'll
0: see you guys later. Remember, you can, here. You, yeah, yeah, I know, right? you're just getting ready to watch what? Like uh, uh, Stephen Colbert, right? But the rest of us have to go to uh, sleep. You can subscribe right. to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get the latest episodes in your possession. So do that or don't do that. It doesn't make a difference to me. i got to go to sleep tonight.